We are continuing the chronological life of Jesus, and we're going to read in Luke chapter 9. So remember, Luke is the only one of the four Gospels that says that it is a chronological account of the life of Jesus. And we're looking at all four Gospels, but we're following the, the outline of the book of, of the Gospel of Luke, and then looking in the other Gospels as it complements that, because Luke doesn't cover everything, but it covers a lot, and uh, it's a great outline for us. So in Luke chapter 9, we're going to start reading at the end of verse 43. But while everyone was marveling at all he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. For the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. It's an interesting thing that he, he's sharing with them, and you might remember that ever since Peter had said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus started to share with them this truth of the kingdom program, that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to raise from the dead. The first time he shared this with them was right after Peter's confession, which Peter spoke on behalf of all of them. And you remember that Peter reproved Jesus for saying it and said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus then reproved Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus shared with, it, that with three of them again when he came down, with Peter, James, and John, when he was coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration six days later. He shared with them again this same sort of word. And now he's sharing it with the twelve again. This is the second time he's sharing it with the twelve. The third time he's sharing it with Peter, James, and John. This same idea, which he didn't share with them until they recognized that he was the Messiah. He shares with them that he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. And it's interesting what Luke writes about this. He says, they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. So it's an interesting statement because they were expecting him to set up the kingdom at that time. They were expecting him. And remember by Pete, what Peter said, this is never going to happen to you. This didn't fit in the model that they saw for him. Now let's look over in uh, uh, Mark chapter 9 and see what Mark says about the same passage. Mark chapter 9, we're going to start reading from verse 30. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. So, Mark gives us the context. They're going through Galilee. So this is after they came, the three came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. The other nine were unable to cast out the demon from the demoniac because, as we said, this was a, a, a demon that made the man mute. And that was, that was uh, one of the three things that only Messiah could do. And so Jesus took care of it. And right after that, they go back going through Galilee, but Mark tells us that this is now a private time. 
he is going quietly through Galilee. He doesn't want the crowds around him. This is an instruction time for the twelve. And that's why Mark says, And there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. Now, don't you think that there were needy people in, that, in, that, in those towns? Don't you think there were still sick people in those towns? Many people went unhealed. Many people... There was a time when Jesus said, No, this time is just the time with the disciples. And uh, this was a time of private instruction with them. And he started going through this again, that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to rise from the dead. Here, Mark tells us that they didn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask him. You say, well, why would they be afraid? Haven't you ever been in class with a professor, and they tell you something, and you're like, I want to look stupid, I don't want to ask again. And, and, and uh, for whatever reason, but it says in Luke that they didn't understand and, and uh, it wasn't given them to understand. It was concealed from them to really understand it. Now let's look in, in Matthew. So this is a, Matthew chapter 17. Again, this is a portion that is mentioned in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. And in Matthew chapter 17, verse 22, it says, And while they were gathered together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. So in, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 22 and 23, the thing that, that Matthew adds for us is that this deeply grieved them to hear what Jesus was saying. Now, they didn't understand the timetable, that's for sure. This is going to happen in less than a year. This is the last year of Jesus' ministry. The next Passover feast, this is going to occur. And so in less than a year, but they had no idea of the timetable. So it's an interesting thing if you think about it. That in, in Matthew it says they were deeply grieved. In Mark it says they didn't understand and they were afraid to ask. And in Luke it says they didn't understand. They were afraid to ask them. And further it was concealed from them so that they weren't able to perceive. And as I thought about this, this is actually so much like life. It really is like life. In the sense that, say a loved one gets a report, say a, a, a report from a physician, and there's some strange number in the, in the blood analysis. You go for a routine physical and some strange number that pops up. You don't know what that means. You don't know what it means. Could it be cancer? If it's cancer, what kind of cancer? Is it terminal in the sense that it's going to be four months or is it going to be 40 years? I mean, what does all this mean? So much of life is like that. You get a report and you don't know what it means. And God conceals it from us because God certainly knows, right? God knows what it means if it has much consequence at all. God knows, but He conceals it from us. We don't know. We don't know what the future holds. So much of life is like this. Your child is diagnosed with something. You don't know what this means. Is the child going to make it through, through puberty? Is the child going to die when they're in their 20s? What does it mean? So much of life is like this. There are many unknowns in life. And there's all these different sorts of emotions. You're afraid to ask. You're afraid to inquire too much. Does it show a lack of faith to 
ask too much. You grieved to hear it. There's only so much you know. You know, there, there are many things in life that are concealed from us. God doesn't reveal to us what the day of our death is going to be. Certainly He knows. He doesn't know if you're going to make it into your, your careers or, or what's going to happen. We don't know what the economy is tomorrow. After 9-11, I remember several students came to me just, just totally bewildered. Why am I even in school? The world is just falling apart. And I had to reassure them, look, I've seen many things happen in life. I lived through the, the, uh, the race riots of the 1960s, and it looked like the world was actually going to split. It looked like the country was going to just be torn asunder in the midst of all of this. And we got through it. I lived through Vietnam, the Vietnam War, and every campus, I mean, students were just livid. And then the, the Kent State incident where the, 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 the state police start shooting into this crowd of college students. And you have all these dead college students sitting around. You wonder, what's, what's going on in the country? I reassured them that just continue on. Continue on with life. This is what God has for us. The reports come that are difficult at times, that we don't understand. And God, in His wisdom, doesn't reveal everything to us. We don't always know what it means. We don't know if this report means that I'm going to live six months or it's going to be of no consequence. We don't know what it means. But we press on. This is what life is. Life is so much like this picture. And what Jesus is sharing with them is the most important thing. The most important thing that he could share with them. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you will see this is the most important topic. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Reading from verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This is an interesting thing, that you might have believed in vain. Now he says, here's the most important thing in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the most important thing in our Christian life. That Christ has died for our sins, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day. That is the most important thing. That is fundamental to the Christian life. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He's risen from the dead. And if you're ever so intellectual that you think there is no resurrection, you may well have believed in vain. Because, because Paul, Paul actually, actually uh, um, talks about this a little bit more. Look in verse 13 of that same chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. 
And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Verse 18. Then those who had fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So you see that, that even in this, this is the most important thing. That's why Jesus again and again underscores this. He says, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and on the third day, I will rise again. This is the most important fundamental thing in our faith, that Christ has suffered for us, He died, and He rose again from the dead. And what He's end up talking about is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, He's talking about the resurrection of the saints, of those who are in Christ. He talks about the resurrection. Okay, so let's turn back Let's turn back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. So he gives us this little picture <clears throat> that grieves them. And now let's read in verse 26 of Matthew chapter 17, verse, I'm, I'm sorry, starting at verse 24, Matthew 17, 24. Now this little portion, 24 through 27, is only recorded in the Gospel according to Matthew. And when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings, kings of the earth collect custom or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? And when Peter said, From strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Very interesting passage. So in verse 24, some men, so now they're in Capernaum. This is Jesus' home base, Capernaum. This is where many of his disciples were from. They've been in Capernaum several times before. This is essentially their home base. This is up in the Galilee, not in, just right by the Sea of Galilee. And when they came to Capernaum, those who collect the two drachma tax came to Peter and says, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And he said, Yes. Okay, so what is this tax? This is not a Mishnaic law. This is not a law that's defined by men. This is actually prescribed in the book of Exodus, chapter 30. In the book of Exodus, chapter 30, it says that everybody is to pay this, this uh, uh, half-shekel tax doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. The tithe, everybody pays a tenth according to what they make. Everybody was paying the same percentage, but the amount they paid varied relative to what they made. They were supposed to pay their tithe. Here, this is something above and beyond their tithe, and it was a two drachma tax, it was a half shekel tax that was to be paid regardless of who you were, the same amount. And this was a tax to fund the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness. God provided for this in a way to support that tabernacle. And it was still collected, as it should have been. This was in the law of Moses. This was for them to pay. Jesus fulfilled everything in the law of Moses. That's, now, this is about six months after, this is about six months, four to six months after the tax should have been paid during the Feast of Tabernacles, when they're there in Jerusalem, they're supposed to pay this tax. 
So this is four to six months afterward. They're coming, and finally these people were keeping account. And so the tax collectors come. And they say, you guys didn't pay. Your master didn't pay. Didn't pay his tax this year. And they said, doesn't he pay tax? And Peter said, yes, he does. Because Peter must have known him in all previous years that he was with him to pay this tax. But now he doesn't pay it anymore. And so Peter right away blurts out, yeah, of course he pays. I don't know if he paid it this year. I don't remember whether he he really did this year or not. And he's thinking, well, in fact, I didn't pay it either. But he didn't remind them of that. Now, Jesus not paying the tax, it really stood out. And uh, uh, Peter's probably going gulp. (laughs) Maybe they haven't checked down to to the S's yet on Simon Peter to, to see that I haven't paid this either. So, it says in verse 25, he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. So, before Peter could say a word saying, hey, these guys started coming, Jesus already knew what happened. Jesus knew the incident. Jesus knew that Peter said yes. Jesus was the first to speak. So Peter probably walked in to tell Jesus about it, and Jesus right away starts questioning him. Peter doesn't even have a chance to to tell him what happened. And Jesus starts asking him questions. And he says, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect custom or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? And when Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. So, in fact, in Rome, if if you're a Roman citizen, which these men were not, but if you are a Roman citizen, you didn't pay taxes. They got taxes from all the people who who they've overcome their, their countries, but not from Roman citizens. Now, many other countries around them, they took taxes from their citizens. But he says, certainly kings don't take taxes from their own sons, right? And uh, Peter acknowledges, not from their own sons. And Jesus is also considering them now, because they have received him as Messiah, sons of the kingdom. So he doesn't even feel that they have to pay this anymore. Because now they're sons of the kingdom. But look what Jesus says. He says, In verse 27, however, so that we do not offend them. So all of a sudden, Jesus is doing something not to be an offense. That's an important thing. That if we can avoid being an offense when it comes to something, avoid being an offense, unless it comes to our preaching the gospel and the testimony of who we are. When I saw this and started meditating on this, and I saw, however, so that we do not offend them, This is antithetical to what I thought Jesus was. If you look in Luke chapter 11, turn over to Luke chapter 11. You want to see how Jesus dealt when people were offended by certain things? Look in Luke chapter 11, verse 37. Luke 11, 37. Let's get a view of, of what Jesus was like when it came to preaching the gospel and sharing the truth. Luke 11, verse 37. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him, to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, 
Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within his charity, and then, and then all things are clean for you. Okay, so look at the context. The Pharisee invites him over for lunch. Usually you're fairly well behaved when you get over for lunch, right? You don't start you know, picking on the person who invited you over. And this Pharisee, it says, when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. Remember, we talked about this before. This was not a law of Moses that they had to go through the ceremony of washing from the tip of their finger to their elbow. That is part of the Mishnaic law, which Jesus had nothing to do with. All the Mosaic law he fulfilled. All of it. The Mishnaic law he rejected. So the Pharisee never even said anything. He's just wondering about Jesus not doing this. But Jesus picks up on this, and you'd think he could say, well, you know, I I follow the law of Moses, but the Mishnaic law I don't observe. It'd be kind of a respectful way of doing it. Or you think, well, maybe he would do it just to make the guy happy, so he wouldn't be an offense. But no, he says, but the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the the inside also? I mean, those are pretty strong words. These are the religious leaders. Religious leaders aren't used to this. You may say this to one of your fellow students, but I bet you would be more cautious about saying it to me. Right? I mean, Jesus is, is a guy who's you know, 33, 35 years old, mid-30s. And he's saying this to the religious leaders. Do you think he's worried about offending people? Look in, now let's read on, verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these things are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So you see, he says, you pay tithe on everything, even on your herbs. But you forgot about, but, but you forgot about justice and the love of God. And he doesn't say, you should take care of justice and the love of God and forget the tithe on the other thing. He says, no, do the former things, but do this also. It's good that you're tithing, so keep doing that. But remember, love and justice. Then he says in verse 42, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and people who walk over them are unaware of it. Uh, Jesus, calm down. It's just a, a thought the man had. It's all he did. He just thought about this. And you'd, you'd think that he'd, he'd be uh, you know, kind of done with this. But then he goes on. He talks like this to them. He says, woe to you Pharisees. He says, oh, by the way, you like the chief seats in the synagogues. You know how you sit up in the front of the synagogues and everybody... What does that have to do with anything? And you like respectful greetings in the marketplace. I mean, Jesus is just unloading. On this Pharisee. Remember, he's a guest in his house for lunch. Do you see how when I read this thing that Jesus was worried about offending these people? That it seemed so atypical of Jesus worrying about offense? When it came to the gospel and speaking the words of truth, Jesus didn't worry about offending people at all. 
Because if we worry about offending people with the gospel, we will never speak up. Now you'd think Jesus would be done. We'll read on, verse 45. And one of the lawyers, by lawyers this means one of, one of the scholars of the law, said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. So you'd think that Jesus would go, I'm sorry, you know, I really didn't mean to insult, because insult is worse, is worse than offend. You know, to offend somebody is one thing. To insult them is another. I, I, I'm sorry. I, just forgive me. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to insult you. I've, I've really gone too far. You'd think that Jesus might say that. But look what he says. But he said, Woe to you lawyers as well! For you weigh down men with your burdens hard to bear, while yourselves you will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it is your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses, and you approve the deeds of your father, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I say to you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the keys of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter and you hindered those who were entering. Whoa. Remember, he was just invited for lunch here. This is lunchtime conversation with Jesus. You see why people might be afraid to ask questions? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you just witness that one time. You're like, whatever you say. <laughs> Remember when Peter kind of stood in the way of what Jesus said and Peter was called Satan? He's afraid to, afraid to ask sometimes. This is what Jesus was like. He says, you, you are responsible for all the death. From Abel, remember where where Cain slew Abel in the book of Genesis, the first guy to be murdered, to Zechariah. If you read the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible, it doesn't have the same order as our Bible. The first five books have the same order, and then their order is different. They go, they go, start with Genesis, they end with 2 Chronicles. So the last guy to die in 2 Chronicles is Zechariah. So to say you are responsible for the death of Abel to Zechariah, that's like saying from Genesis to Revelation. You know, I mean, they just said you insulted me. And now you put the death of all these prophets on me? That's the Jesus that I know. All right? Let's turn back to Matthew. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, so that, in verse 27 of Matthew 17, however, so that we do not offend them. This is Jesus worrying about offending people. When it comes to things that are not the preaching of the gospel, He said, let's just do it. We don't want to be an offense. I don't have to. I'm the Son of God. I don't have to. You're a Son of the King. You don't have to anymore but so that we're not in offense. And then he says, go throw into a hook, take out the first fish. So it's not like Peter was fishing all day, wondering when's this fish going to come. I mean, the first hit, you know, just boom. I mean, before the hook even hits the water, a fish grabs this thing, he pulls it up, and there's a coin in there. 
And, and if you go to the Sea of Galilee today, you can order a, a St. Peter's fish, right, at the restaurants right around the Sea of Galilee. They have St. Peter's fish, which has this large mouth, which they say is the fish in the Sea of Galilee. And now I'm told by the Jews that this is not really a fish from the Sea of Galilee. These are from fish farms because the Galilee has been fished out. This is what I'm told. But anyway, you go to a restaurant in the Sea of Galilee and you pay a lot just because you're at the Sea of Galilee for St. Peter's fish. And, and, uh, uh, and that's, and I don't know, who knows, maybe you'll find a shekel in there one day. But Jesus, look at what, what else Jesus does. He intercedes in the affairs of men with simple little things. Here he tells his disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise on the third day, and they're grieved. And then he reminds them with little miracles. This isn't a life-changing miracle where it shakes the earth and, you know, God speaking from heaven, it's, but it's a miracle. God drops little miracles into our lives to remind us that He lives. He does this all the time. I've told this story before. We were, I was going to be getting married and, and uh, I was in graduate school and, and I, 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 I prayed that in married student housing that we would find an apartment on the end of the building that we would be in a sign-in apartment. You just put in your application. You don't say where you're going to be. And I didn't even know a place like this exists. I said, I just want, Lord, I just want an apartment on the end of a building, on the ground floor, with, a, with an area in the back with picnic tables so that we could have, invite people over and have picnics out in the back. And we got, of all the places, we got a ground floor apartment on the end of the building so we didn't have to walk far around. And, and uh, uh it opened up to a park called Squirrel Park. It was filled up with, with, with uh, uh, picnic tables. This is what we were assigned. Little miracles he drops into our lives. I knew a woman, she was going through a divorce. She had just come to know the Lord and her husband was le- had left her, actually. And she was just so discouraged. And she, she prayed this prayer. She said, Lord, just encourage me this day. Just give me a rainbow today. Let me see a rainbow. And it was a sunshiny day. and So she goes to work. And somebody just out of the blue walks up to her and hands her a rainbow pin and said, this is a gift for you. God does this. He drops in little miracles into people's lives to know that he exists. What an encouragement this must have been to Peter. When my daughter was three years old, I was a postdoc. I was at Stanford University and I had two little girls. Umbreen was three years old and she kept on asking for a rainbow bike. A rainbow bike. I didn't even know what a rainbow bike was. I'm colorblind. I can't see the rainbows. It doesn't mean anything to me. And, and uh, she kept asking. I said, if you want a rainbow bike, you pray. What is a rainbow bike? It's a rainbow bike. I don't know what a rainbow bike is. But a three-year-old, you know, they're just three. So I said, you pray. Ask Jesus to give you a rainbow bike. And I went to Toys R Us to get her, her, Christmas pre- her uh, birthday present. And I was going to get her a bicycle. And... I was really busy trying to be a postdoc, applying for jobs, and here, here my, my daughter's birthday, and, and, uh, and I thought, I've got to get a bike that's fully assembled. Back in those days, there weren't a gazillion bikes when you walk into Toys R Us all assembled. You would get a box, a box of little, little pieces, and it would take all night to put this, thing, this bike together. And I said, Lord, please give me an assembled bike. And I walked in there, and there were a few assembled bikes, and one had training wheels right her size. That's, that's what I'm taking. So I bought that. I was putting, she wasn't with me, Shireen wasn't with me, and I was putting it in the trunk of the car. 
And that little guard over the, the chain, the chain guard, right across it, it said, Rainbow. This was a rainbow bike. And then there were all these colors on it and these tassels hanging in different colors. Which the colors never This was a rainbow bike. It said rainbow right on the side. God gave this three-year-old a rainbow bike. She prayed for a rainbow. Jesus knew what I didn't know what a rainbow bike was. God drops little things into our lives to let us know that He exists. A time of grieving comes. He drops in just a little miracle that means something to us. It means nothing to the rest of the world. But means something to us to let us know that He lives. That it's going to be alright because He lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. The truth of Your Word. Lord Jesus, thank You that You gave Your life for us. That You were beaten. That You suffered. That You died and You rose from the dead. And we proclaim that. That You have indeed risen from the dead. Thank You for that truth. And the hope that that gives us. That death is not the end. Father, I thank You for this picture that we have of Jesus, who graciously inserts Himself in the affairs of human uh, of humanity to let us know that He lives and He cares about these little things in our lives. Thank You, Lord, that Jesus inserts Himself in this special way that means something to us, that reminds us of His good in our lives, of His care. Thank You, Father, for reaching out to us, for being so special to us in Jesus Christ. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Praise your name. And Father, I pray for these young people as they see these special things come in their times of grieving and their times of stress, in their times of supplication, in their times of prayer. As they see you insert yourself into the affairs of their lives, that they would give you glory and record these as special events in their lives. Bless them richly in the name of Jesus. Amen.